Hey everybody and welcome back to my podcast. My name is Sue and I'm from OML Embroidery and today we're going to talk about crazy quilting and the history of crazy quilting. And if you don't know, crazy quilting is one of my favorites and it's bits and pieces of fabric joined together. It looks unplanned but it's very very much planned and uh, it has a nice over overall look to it and there are a lot of fancy stitches which I thoroughly enjoy. If you look back in the history books or look it up on Google you can see some of the really fancy stitches when you know they were doing it by hand and they only had a little bit of fabric of that kind and a little bit of uh, fancy thread that they salvaged from somewhere and it looks quite spectacular all the colors all the threads it's really wonderful so i thought i would just uh you know read to you guys a little bit about the history of crazy quilting it's just a wonderful technique so these this is nothing that i have written so just so you know um, I didn't spend time writing this. I did, however, spend time uh, researching it. So that's fine. Close enough, right? So Wikipedia is always a place to start. Wikipedia is awesome. The term crazy quilting is often used to refer to the textile art, which is awesome. I love textile art of crazy patchwork and is sometimes used interchangeably with that term. Crazy quilting does not actually refer to a specific kind of quilting, the needlework which binds two or more layers of fabric together, but a specific kind of patchwork, patchwork lacking repeating motifs and which the seams and patches are heavily embellished. Those parts there is what I like about it. A crazy quilt rarely, rarely has the internal layer of batting that is part of what defines quilting as a textile technique. Okay, so that's interesting. So crazy quilts aren't made with the batting included. Traditionally, of course, we do it differently on our embroidery machines, but that's interesting. I didn't know that. Crazy quilts differ from regular quilts in other ways as well. Because the careful geometric design of a quilt block is much less important in crazy quilts, the quilters are able to employ much smaller and more irregularly shaped pieces of fabric, hence the crazy part. In comparison to standard quilts, crazy quilts are far more likely to use exotic pieces of fabric, such as velvet, satin, tulle, or silk, and embellishments such as buttons, lace, ribbons, beads, or embroidery, which is interesting because when we put, um, when we do that on the machine, we don't add any of those embellishments. We do the stitching, um, but normally we're just using quilting cotton. So ribbons would be awesome. Um, embroidery, we do that. Uh, buttons, I never thought of buttons. That would be a great idea. Um, awesome. Crazy quilts range from carefree 
and relatively easy to extremely labor intensive. I can only, only imagine. A Harper's Bazaar article from 1884 estimated that full-size crazy quilt could take 1,500 hours to complete. Yeah, wow, that's a long time. So let's go to the history. Crazy quilts became popular in the late 1800s, likely due to the English embroidery and Japanese art that was displayed at the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition. American audiences were drawn to the satin stitches used in English embroidery, which created a painterly surface, which was reflected in many crazy quilts. The display is shown at the Japanese pavilion of silk-screened work and Japanese pottery with cracked glaze inspired the American audiences. Similar aesthetics began to show up in crazy quilts, including unique patterns and stitching that resembled spider webs and fans. Oh, I've seen that. That's awesome. Crazy quilting rapidly became a national fashion amongst urban upper-class women who used a wide variety of fabrics that the newly industrialized 19th century textile industry offered to piece together single quilts from hundreds of different fabrics. Long after the style had fallen out in a fashion amongst urban women, it continued in rural areas and in small towns whose quilters adopted the patterns of the urban quilts but employed sturdier, more practical fabrics and dropped the earlier quilts ornate embroidery in embellishment. And I think that's probably what we do today. So less embellishment and less fancy fabrics. Although it would be really fun to do a block or two, crazy quilt block or two, using those fancy fabrics and adding buttons and ribbons and different things like that. I think that would be really fun to do. Hmm. I'm going to put that on the list. So I found another article and it's called The History of Crazy Quilts Part 1 by Betty Pillsbury in collaboration with Rita Vanius, Vanius, it's hard to say. And it's on a website um, that features uh, special interest stories about, it's just about everything. It's called the Carrion Connection Collection. So I thought this was interesting. I've read through it and I really like it. So let's begin. Crazy quilting, that wonderful Victorian pastime, is enjoying an immense resurgence in popularity. That's true. That's very true. However, crazy quilting is somewhat of a misnomer. It's not quilted like a typical quilt. That is, no quilting stitches nor batting are employed in its construction. Also, one's mental balance does not have to be in question to crazy quilt. So that means you, you don't have to be crazy, but you know, it helps. I'm thinking it helps. 
Rather, a crazy quilt is a unique conglomeration of randomly pieced fabrics, fancy fabrics, with embroidered embellishments on nearly every seam and patch. But it did not start this way. The evolution of the crazy quilt, as we recognize today, is a journey that illustrates the triumph imagination and ingenuity in the face of unimaginable trials and tribulations. Well, that's true. That's interesting too, isn't it? Uh, the random practice of piecing odd bits of cloth together was a money-saving habit from colonial times, which is kind of cool, you know, if you think about it. It's kind of cool. Um, in the harsh and unfamiliar environment of the new world, the biggest factors needed to build a strong and enduring society required that the early settlers be hardworking with a strong sense of responsibility, first to family and then to community. In the beginning, when the coverlets and blankets the colonials had brought with them began to wear out, they patched until the cloth could no longer hold thread. That's some serious patching, just saying. By necessity of self-sufficient and temperament eminently practical, when clothing and, and bedclothes wore out, they were recycled. Worn parts were cut away and any useful pieces were recombined. From these pieces, odds and ends, we can readily envision the, how the crazy quilt came into being. It was indeed crazy as far as design was concerned. There was no planned design in shape, arrangement of color, or use of materials. Similarly, as the parents' clothes wore out, there was a large enough area left without holes. These pieces were used to fashion a child's dress or trousers first, and then only after that, every other usable odd-shaped piece left over, scrupulously saved and kept together until there was enough left for a quilt. Plaid woolens might be sewed next to a triangle cut from a red from red woolen underwear. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. As new material was woven, scraps of linsey woolsey and shoddy got mixed with the precious all woolen material. Linen was also used, and later, when chintzes and calicoes were imported from beyond the horn, these eventually found their way to the quilts as well. Of course, none of these early piece quilts have survived the more than three centuries that have passed since they were made. Also, no one took the time to describe them in any detail in the journals and letters and wills which mention them. It can only be surmised that what was known from the conditions prevailing at the time or how these quilts made by the earliest colonial women must have looked not very pretty because they were composed of only the stronger though already worn pieces of material cut from otherwise unserviceable clothing. They were made more as a result of accident born of necessity than design. Well, that makes sense, but it also kind of gives me an idea to be more scrappy based when making 
different quilts like this instead of, you know, pulling out a new um, layer cake that cutting random scraps or keeping a bin of random scraps and putting it together for a completely different look. I, I like that idea. Hmm, that's nice. There were two ways to make a crazy quilt. In the first, each tiny piece was fitted together with others like a jigsaw puzzle and pieces were just as irregular were just as irregular in shape. Sometimes if a piece was too large, it was cut into smaller ones to maintain a sort of average of dimension in the general area. This was the beginning of the organization of design. The second type of crazy quilt was made at a later date and in it were put scraps of silk, velvet, brocade, plush satin, wool, cotton, and linen. Because uh, bits of a wedding dress might be sewed next to the remnant from a scarlet uniform, these quilts were for the most part made in blocks, the square units of design that make up a quilt. Uh, the designer determined the size of the quilt and then decided just how many blocks she wished to put in her top. When she was making this type of quilt, decided on the size of her block, she proceeded to baste her irregular pieces upon it. These background blocks were usually made of coarsely woven sackcloth. Okay, so I didn't know that either. That's how they put everything together. They made blocks of the sackcloth, which is not very nice cloth, and they put the pieces on it. And once they filled up all those pieces, they sewed the blocks together and they had a quilt. So that's interesting too. A lady made pieced quilts until she was sure of her craft. When she felt she had developed enough skill, she would begin a masterpiece quilt, which we've done a few masterpiece quilts. It's awesome. Uh, these were exhibited at county fairs and testified to the master needlewoman's expertise. A fine quilt handmade by the owner was an enormous status symbol. Elaborate applique quilts were considered so difficult and accomplished accomplishment that they were considered to be masterpiece quilts. Before the electric light was invented, women would often start two quilts at the same time. The utility quilt would be pieced or crazy quilt that would make use of scraps left over after cutting sections for the masterpiece quilt. Also, the seamstress could work on this quilt when she was too tired or the light was too poor for her best efforts. Later, when the crazy quilt became an accepted and even coveted artistic and skillful form of needlework on its own right, fabric was not spared and embroidered seam and border stitches and embellishments on the patches became art forms in and of themselves. The stitches are my favorite part of the crazy quilt because anything goes and more than one color is better. I just love it. It was not until the 1880s when patterns were becoming very graphic that there was a nostalgic wish for things to be as they had been in the past. Changes were coming much too rapidly for the people and they seemed to want their quilts to represent an older and pleasanter time. I think we still do that this day. 
is my guess. This was nascence of the crazy quilts trend to the heights of popularity and extravagance. Many were made to record family histories and pieces were gathered from many family members. Each piece would be embroidered with the name, birth date, death date if needed, and an appropriate sentiment of the donor. Incorporated in, into it might be the things as a man's hat band, a leather bow tie, and a piece of a corset complete with lace. So that's interesting. That's how they put them together, you know, that little pieces. That's kind of like a memory quilt, a memory crazy quilt. There's got to be a better name for that, though. <laughs> a memory crazy quilt doesn't seem too nice for sure. The first use of the word crazy to, de to describe a random asymmetrical pattern in needlework was the cultivator and country gentleman in 1878. It referred to an embroidered canvas cushion to be passed among friends. Each would invent and embroider their own design, and when finished, it was returned to its owner. As the article suggested, you will think it's a crazy cushion indeed. That sounds like fun too. Everyone do a piece of a crazy quilt and then you put it together. It would be so random and awesome. Crazy patchwork reached its peak in the late 1880s and continued to be made as late as 1920. The most elaborate work so ornamented with intricate embroidery that the fabric itself was hardly visible was much less common, however, in later decades. The Industrial Revolution, which occurred during Queen Victoria's reigns, reign, made Americans rich. This, these nouveau riche families had now had much more leisure time on their hands and they could afford servants to do the mundane work. For a genteel lady, needlework was considered a proper use of her leisure time. These Victorian gentlewomen use fancy fabrics because they can afford these beautiful treasures. What better use of this leisure time than to sew bits of silk, velvet, and satin into a coverlet and embroider upon the seams? In the September 1882 issue of Harper's Bazaar, the magazine gave this technique the highest praise. In the old calico quilts, the design was very stiff and the colors rarely chosen with eye to effect. Now we are very daring without any apparent design at all and produce in the end a result which will in some cases challenge comparison with any richly stained glass. That's an interesting comparison for sure. But why would these ladies use bits and pieces of fancies rather than purchase full yardages? Good question. It might be that the Centennial Exposition of 1876 was a primary influence for this trend. During the exposition, Japanese art was highlighted. Oh, we heard about that in Wikipedia. Some of the Oriental ceramics of the time had a finish called crazing. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up too. This technique produced an overall random broken appearance to the object's glaze. The influence of Japan on crazy work was both direct and indirect. 
The Japanese aesthetic is very different from the Western one. Asymmetry is preferred to symmetry, a central perspective from a fixed viewpoint, a basic concept in Western art is absent in Eastern art. Broken planes and the separation of planes by a strong diagonal as well as objects occurring across a field of vision are uniquely oriental. Additionally, the Japanese had developed a compositional style in which the most disparate pictorial forms circle, oval, fan shape, double cir circle, gourd shape, and the more unusual rectangle and square are used in conjunction, one format with another. Such a style might be very aptly described the American crazy quilt, a totally new aesthetic, one that influenced Western art in decoration and clothing, had an indirect influence on both needlework and other forms of decorative art. The frontispiece to Clarence Cook's influ influential decorating manual, House Beautiful, first published in 1878, displays Japanese fans prominently in a room setting that itself kind of crazy quilt various styles of decoration and design. More directly, the traditional Japanese, Japanese motifs like starks, owls, and other birds, as well as dragonflies, insects, spider webs, butterfly flowers, and fans, both folding and panel shaped, began appearing everywhere. Well, I like the dragonflies, not so much the insects. Of course, spider webs are awesome. Butterflies are big, and flowers, of course. Interesting. Very interesting. We're almost done. Hopefully my reading has been okay. It's kind of hard to do, but I think I'm going to get used to it because this is kind of fun. We all get to learn something. So enhance your crazy quilts. The Karen Collection's uniquely dyed threads offer the opportunity to wonderfully enrich and enhance your crazy quilt stitching and embroidery. Of course, they mean hand embroidery. Try a feather stitch in evergreen water flowers, add lazy daisies and rose quartz water lilies. Try, okay, what they're saying is just try different colors. Herringbone stitches will never be the same once you stitch them with double-dipped Rachel. <laughs> I guess that's the colors they're talking about. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, the above article was written by Betty Pillsbury, who is president of the Omaha Needle Artist Chapter of the Embroiderers Guild of America. Ooh, that's a bit of a title. <laughs> Betty is also active in the American Needlepoint Guild, Living Lace of Omaha, Crazy Quilters Support Group of Eastern Nebraska, and the Society of Creative Anachronism. Wow! Over a hundred ribbons have been awarded to Betty for her needlework. Handmade ornaments were created by her for the White House and the National Museum of Women Artists. Wow, that's a pretty good resume. But anyways, I just thought this was really interesting 
to learn how it came about and the Japanese influence and the differences between the two types of quilts. Um, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And I'm thinking there's a few more things I need to try. I would like to try different kinds of fabrics in it. Um, I love the idea of the memory quilt uh, sort of thing, like putting different items together. Uh, I think that would be wonderful and different colors and just random patterns. And we can do all of that on the embroidery machine. Uh, for the most part, we got all the crazy quilt stitches and you can make your own and remember to put fans and dragonflies and stuff like that to keep traditional. So I think that's something I want to work on. If you guys do too, if you guys want to stitch out some crazy, crazy quilts that stick to the 1880s traditions, let me know in the OML Embroidery University Facebook group. And uh, maybe that's something we can have a lot of fun with. I think it would be fun. So keep your scraps together um, and I think we'll make something of it. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, I'm trying out different ways to do these podcasts. And uh, thanks for listening. Let me know what you think. All right. Bye.